0: Setting the scene, the environmental background. One of the important opportunities offered by a waterlogged site is the quality of preservation of organic environmental evidence that doesn't normally survive well on dryland sites. This includes plant and wood remains, insect remains and pollen grains, all of which add to the story of a place and what happened there in the past. At Edekloon, both During the excavation and during the post-excavation analysis, a team of experts came together to examine these microscopic details that reveal a big picture.
1: Um, My name is Nora Birmingham and I was brought into the project at Eder Clune to look at the context in which the archaeological sites uh, sat, so to look at the bog environment in which the human activity was found. When I think of Edir-Klund, um as an archaeologist, I think of it as this uh, wonderful opportunity to uh, delve into a landscape that um, we don't often get a chance to explore with to the degree that we did at Ederclun. There are a handful of similar peatland projects, you might say, in the country um, that The work at Eder Clune basically owes its genesis to. So Eder Clune built on uh, these tremendous kind of pioneering projects from the late eighties through the nineties, both in, in, in the bogs of County Longford and in Derryville or Lachine down in County Tipperary. Um, and because of those projects, Ireland was able to build up the skills and bring the skills in, um, where we could develop the specialist knowledge so that when something like Eder Kloon appeared for us and was discovered, we knew what to do, like we knew what to do. We didn't have any issue with what needed to be done or how we needed to do it or what was the best way of going about retrieving the materials we needed for the analysis in the post-excavation phase. All that skill was there.
0: Using the examples of the earliest trackway found at Hedercloon, site director and archaeological woodwork expert Cathy Moore explains how the different strands of evidence came together.
2: So what was really remarkable, I suppose, at working on a site like Eder Clune is the richness of the environmental evidence. And that's something that we we rarely get a chance to examine in the detail that we were able to examine it in Eder Clune. For example, if we look at the earliest trackways, the Neolithic trackways, we have Nora's work identifying the development of the bog and the early fen levels as the the lake began to fill up and become, become a fen. We have Jill's work looking at the pollen in the wider landscape and that identified that trees were being felled at this time, that grasses and, and weeds were taking precedence as agriculture was being uh, undertaken on the surrounding dry land. But then looking closer at the evidence from the actual sites, we have the work of Dr Eileen Riley and Eileen was able to identify insects from underneath that trackway that again uh, proved or identified that this was a fen environment, that there were open pools of water, that this was an acidic uh, landscape that the trackway was built in. In then looking at the wood was able to identify different types of forests that were utilised in the construction of that site. So Ederclune 45, this lovely Neolithic path out in the fen was predominantly built of hazel. Now, hazel doesn't grow around the edges of the fen, so that would have come from, at some remove, not necessarily terribly far away, but from slightly drier conditions. But there were other woods in there like alder and willow that would have been grown in close proximity. And then I suppose the final piece of analysis on Edicline 45 would have been the woodworking, and all the tool marks in that site were very clearly those made by stone axes of the first farmers in the area.
0: In order to understand a site, Archaeologists need to ask questions of the evidence they find. What is it? What is it made of? How and why was it used? Understanding the landscape it was situated in can help to answer some of these questions. That is why the environmental evidence from wetland sites is so valuable.
1: So the the archaeological discoveries at Ederclund were made in um, an area of reclaimed raised bog um, And this part of the raised bogs sat on the edge of a much, much larger expanse of bog. And raised bogs in Ireland are, they're common features of the the Midland landscape. Mm. And their sequence of development is uh, very well understood in in a broad sense. Um, Their general sequence is that um, a, a shallow water basin would become infilled with organic debris from plants growing in and around the margins of the basin over time the de- the debris accumulates in depth and expands across the basin and the edges of open water are characterized by plants such as reeds and grasses flag irises you know, plants that you you'd commonly see in 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 this kind of wet marshy landscape um, plants that like to have their feet in the water this stage in the development is known as a fen, and it's typically an environment rich in flora and fauna and full of resources that people want but can't always easily access. Um, as the fens' uh, peat deposits deepen and expand, the fen surface sits higher and higher above the groundwater table, and that removes the vegetation on the surface from the source of the water because fens are uh, fed by groundwater, and because um, the, because the water table sits below the surface of the fen, the, there's a there's a change in the types in the environment and in the kinds of plants that can live in that environment. So we have what's called a fen bog transition, and often we see this in 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 the different kinds of plant species that begin to occupy the surface of what was this groundwater system, and that transitional period um, is when plants like sphagnum mosses and heathers and uh, begin to um, occupy the surface and the environment becomes more acidic. It becomes probably less diverse right. in its, its biodiversity um, and it takes on a completely different character. Um, you know, it, it can have humps and bumps, hummocks and hollows, lawns, large extensive pools... And it's also a rain fed system. And that's the crucial difference between the uh, uh, the earliest development of this type of mire landscape or bog landscape is we move from a ground fed to a rain fed system. But at all times, you're talking about a system that is is wet, unpredictable, uh, changeable, changeable um, on a, a, a daily, weekly, yearly basis, and then over much, much longer periods of time, it is quite changeable. And somewhere in that, that's where human activity fits within all that change. The thing about bogs is there's nothing static on a bog. It's, the bog is always moving up, it's moving moving it's shrinking it's expanding there's plants growing there's plants dying there's water accumulating there's water moving on the surface or underneath through the bog there's it's a very dynamic living environment and humans are you know we're building trackways and hurdles and splitting planks so we can get into parts of the bog that we couldn't necessarily otherwise get into or access um so the gaps in time when you know where, where trackway let's say building um doesn't occur are pro- maybe, not necessarily, but it may be because either there was no people in the area or they weren't bothered going into the bog at that time, or because they didn't need to put down a trackway because they could get in. And other times you're talking about it well, are we in a transition? Are we going from a wet to a dry Kind of transitions, so you need to throw something down to enable you to access this area that you couldn't access before? Or is it the opposite direction? Is it going from dry to wet and you're throwing down a trackway so you can get in because it's getting too wet? Um, those complexities, they're really hard to tease apart, to be fair. And, and particularly when you bring in the whole idea of how people act and what they want from their environment and what they're looking for. Um, they, they're not easy answers I think to these questions but one thing that you can't get away from is if the wood is pristine then it wasn't on the surface for very long it had to sink or be enveloped by that peatland and that makes you think about well how long would an individual structure been actually in use for are we talking a season a year 10 years longer one aspect of my work was to look at what's called the the macrostratigraphy the gross stratigraphy of the the peat environment that the archaeological sites were found in and um the the kind of the broad picture that i was able to create or not create recreate i suppose by looking at the stratigraphy you know but distinguishing between fen environment and a transitional environment and a raised bog environment. All of that was just brought alive with Eileen's work on the insects.
2: So Dr Eileen Niley undertook analysis of insect remains from the sites that we excavated at Clun. So the reason that this analysis is done in the first is that many insects, say like beetles or ants, they're habitat specific. And so... Analyzing the peat from beneath the sites or within the sites allows us to reconstruct those environments. So, Eileen looked at multiple samples of peat taken from underneath the trackways and was able to tell us then the exact ground conditions that those trackways were built on. So, that really helped visualize what the bog was like when a trackway was being built. So, for example, Edercloon 45, which is the early, lovely, early Neolithic or lovely Neolithic tower was built in a fan and Eileen could identify that there were open pools of water in and around the trackway but interestingly she also found dung beetles so she was able to tell us that animals were certainly grazing within the vicinity of the fen when that trackway was built Then on other sites perhaps Uh, this work was able to identify colonies of ants and much drier species that were living on the trackway surface. So that would tell us that some of the sites were actually quite dry when they were in existence. So it really, it's very, very detailed work, but it gives us uh, a really complex and and strong uh, image of what those sites might have been like. And it also tells us, of course, about the wider landscape, because some species Aren't wetland or bog species, but they were imported with the wood or they were imported with uh, humans and animals using the trackways. And so you get glimpses of different types of beetles that were living in woodland that may have been exploited to build the trackways. So a real wealth of information can come ca- or came from Eileen's work on Clune. I'm Jill Plunkett, I'm a paleoecologist at Queen's University Belfast.
3: Pollen's produced by all flowering plants. Um, And the pollen grains have a particular structure. So they're invisible to the naked eye. So you could probably line up 30 hazel pollen grains side by side and it would be about a millimetre wide. Um, So it's really, really small. It has a very specific structure. So when we look at it under the microscope, we can identify, oh, that's pollen grain from a particular type of plant. Um, It's produced in the thousands, by every plant, Um, it gets blown around by the wind and moved around by insects. And then it's really resistant to decay. So it gets blown into a bog. Um, The conditions in the bog are perfect for the preservation of the pollen grains. um, And the pollen is preserved within the peat. And then year after year, decade after decade, century after century, the pollen is accumulating. Um, so we can look at the different types of pollen and that will tell us what plants were growing in the surrounding area. Pollen analysis is important um, f- for archaeological investigations because it helps give us a context, an environmental context for the activity that's represented by the archaeology. It allows us to see the wider environment that people were, were living in, working in, um, and just getting on with their day-to-day things. So without the information about the environment, pollen is just one aspect of the environment, but without that information, we're kind of trying to imagine what people were doing against a a green screen. We don't know what else was going on. We don't know how they were affecting their environment or how the environment or environmental change were potentially influencing what people did.
0: Of course, most of what was excavated at Edercloon was made of wood, from the trackways themselves to the artefacts deposited with them. Analysis of the different types of wood species used gives us information on both the broader landscape, how it changed through time, and on how people were using the trees that grew there.
4: I'm inge Lisa and I was brought in to Klun to look at the wood, uh, give advice on wood sampling and the wood identification. Wood species analysis is, on an excavation like Klun of utmost importance because it's basically the only thing uh, which you can find which relates to human beings. Uh, The rest is environmental, but any wood which is found in Ederklun, in uh, that archaeological site, in that type of setting, is brought to the site by humans. So it's important to understand um, why is the wood there, what kind of wood speeches are represented? Have they been worked? Um, so, there's a range of questions which you can pose to the wood uh, fragments. Now, my part of it was the identification, that means looking at every individual lump of wood which came out and describe not only the wood speeches, so oak, elm, ash, uh, willow, etc., but also look at the quality of the wood, is the bark around the wood. Is it in a good condition? Uh, is it rotten? Um, are the roots going through it? All those aspects can tell a little bit about um, a situation in which the wood was laid down and the longitudes, how long it was exposed to the elements. So, for example, if people make a pathway through the bog and they lay down some uh, wooden stumps in order to get a dry, keep dry feet. Um, That's fine. If you only do it for a very short period, uh, you wouldn't notice anything on the wood. But if you do it for a long period, then the wood gets trampled and gets squashed. Also, when it uh, gets underwater, then it's below the oxygen, so it remains in that same state. However, if it's on the surface and the sun can shine on it, then it dries out, it begins to crack, and uh, roots can eventually... Uh, plants can grow on the trackways and the roots can penetrate through the woods. So the quality of the woods is another aspect uh, which can help the archaeologist to define if a trackway or a tocher was long or short in function. And also there are animals which can roam over the trackways and uh, they can lay the pool down and they can... um, uh, put tracks uh, on the, uh, the wooden fragments as well, trample it further down, uh, which is also of extra interest in how were the paths being used. And then, of course, we have the artefacts. In uh, Ada Clone that was a substantial part, which is not common in this type of setting, but those artefacts are a glimpse in the, in the real world of humans who made those trackways.
0: The site director, Kathy Moore, is an expert on archaeological wooden artefacts, another very important aspect of this excavation.
2: So the artefacts deposited in the sites at Ederclun are really wide-ranging. We have things like um, a lot of domestic wooden vessels, so bowls, dishes, there are tubs, there's one really large trough. There are things then like weapons, like spears, there are um, possible clubs tool handles, axe hafts, mallets and all sorts of weird and wonderful objects that we're not quite sure what they are. We also found a number of wheel fragments and Edercloon is the first archaeological excavation in Irish peatlands where we found wheels in direct association with sites. Bringing all the
0: excavated material and the analysis of the experts together, we can now look at Edercloon through the ages, starting with the first evidence for people in this landscape.